I think it's a challenge to make people love and appreciate um, reptiles in general. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that won't be bringing you a December episode featuring a chat from a humbug keeper because it turns out that a humbug is not actually a type of insect. The Rasafari Podcast. You know, it's probably worth noting that um, those jokes right there at the beginning of each interview episode are not only the worst jokes that I make most weeks. Okay, I can I can hear some of my listeners <laughs> debating that heavily right now. But in general, they're they're pretty rough, and um, and they also take longer than almost anything else that I do for this podcast because I always forget about them. So I sit here ready to record my intro after having edited the interview and done the interview and all the cool stuff, and I'm all excited, and I start off and I start to say hello, and I realize I don't have a joke. And so I sit there, and I sit on my couch, staring around my living room, trying to come up with a dumb joke. Now, some may ask, why not cut it? But I am stubborn and determined and kind of dumb that way. So that is why. Don't you love those behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast? Not quite as interesting as when we go behind-the-scenes with uh, animals, but, you know, it's something. Anyway, for those of you that have been following along, you know that this podcast has been on a bit of a journey this season. Uh, as I've been traveling to play the drums, the podcast has been coming with me. I've been interviewing people at facilities in the places I gig. It started off with a long run down in Florida, and then I headed up to New England and after that, which we just finished, I went out on an actual tour tour. I spent three and a half weeks or so uh, on the road and hitting a different city every day. And it was a lot of fun. It was not, however, quite what I had dreamed of with the podcast. When you only have one day in a town, even when you reach out in advance and everything, sometimes it just becomes impossible to actually connect with people at the zoo or aquarium there. This happened to me a couple of times where I, I reached out and I heard from a facility and they were super excited and we talked about things. And then when we got to the actual day or the day before... It was quickly realized that due to staffing shortages or just, you know, vet procedures being done or whatever that, yeah, we, we couldn't we couldn't do it. And and we could have totally done an interview another day, but I was hopping on a bus that night and heading to a different state. And so, yeah, it, it really didn't work out like I had hoped. But I did make some great connections for episodes down the road, and I want to especially give a shout out to the South Carolina Aquarium in Charleston, South Carolina. 
even though they weren't able to be on the podcast at this time, we had a wonderful chat about it. And um, uh, it was just it was a really good, really feel good experience. They also comped myself as well as some of the cast uh, free visits. And so it was fun to share that passion with people that I was on the road with. And also I was able to comp some of their staff free tickets to my show. So people got to come and, and see me do the drum thing, uh, you know, for free. And that was cool, too. So um, I just wanted to take a second to say thank you to to everyone at the South Carolina Aquarium, especially Ashley Dolnak, who was my contact there and was so passionate and encouraging. And I just I love having moments like that with people in this field. Huh. An animal person who was super sweet and awesome. And I loved what a shocker. And I got to tell y'all, while those near misses would have been fun, I did get to go and do two interviews at Zoo Knoxville. Now, y'all know I love me some Zoo Knoxville. And it's not just because of the amazing animals and the fact that there are so many cool red pandas there, but because of the, the people there. And so this week and next, you're going to get to hear from a couple of them. Actually, I'm really excited. Next week, you are going to hear from Tiffany James again. Uh, she was on episode 20, The Great Episode. And uh, a lot of people have told me that is one of their, if not their favorite episode. And uh, Tiffany's in a new department at the zoo now. And so we did a whole new interview and talked about some other stuff. And she may or may not have some cool stories about traveling to Africa through the zoo's uh, quarters for conservation program. I don't know. But um. You you may or may not hear about that next week. You, you will. I, I don't know why I try to be coy with these things. It's, it's so awkward. But anyway, that's next week. This week, I am bringing you my interview with Phil Cockliffe, the Director of Animal Care, Conservation, and Education at Zoo Knoxville. And I've got to say it, while that is a rather lofty title, Phil is super down to earth. In fact, he spends a lot of his time down really close to the earth because Phil is a reptile guy. And he's going to talk about that and, and why reptiles and specifically snakes mean so much to him. He's also going to talk a little bit about his role at the zoo. And um, OK, so here's the thing. Phil is awesome and has done a lot. And we had roughly a half hour for our interview. It got stretched a little bit, which was super sweet of everyone involved. But um, this is one of those where I had the choice of either scratching the surface on a bunch of really cool things or digging deep on a few things. And I, I chose option two. So this is going to be a really cool, really deep conversation about reptiles and about why people like snakes or don't like snakes. And uh, we talk about what it's like creating and funding and figuring out and opening a brand new exhibit, which Zoo Knoxville recently did. And you're going to hear about that process in a lot of detail. And it's really cool. But I got to tell you, I could have spent an entire hour talking to Phil and not touching on any of those topics. So uh, I'm looking forward to having Phil back on the podcast again down the road. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be excited to hear what he has to say now and to know that there's so much more coming the next time I make it down to Knoxville. Now, along with Phil, there's another name that you need to know for this podcast, and that name is Amy Burgess. Amy is the digital media manager 
as well as doing public relations for Zoo Knoxville. And she got to tag along and take me to places and listen to the interviews to make sure that I didn't say terribly offensive things. And um, it was actually really fun hanging out with Amy for the day. And she definitely uh, made this whole journey very easy. She was very accommodating. And she also gets involved in this interview a little bit uh, in a way that you might not expect a, a PR person to be involved. You're going to get to see the behind the scenes, not of an animal exhibit in this case, but of what it's like making a podcast sometimes. And I promise you it is in the best way. There is. It's not like she was shutting anything down. Um, but get ready to have a pretty big laugh towards the end of this episode, because there is a story that goes off the rails and, uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. And speaking of things you're going to enjoy, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right. And along with that, here's your quick friendly reminder to make sure you're following along on social media pages at Ross Safari or on TikTok at Ross Safari Pod. You can support the pod at patreon.com slash Ross Safari. And uh, the website is rossafari.com if you want to see rossafari.com type things. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Phil Cockliffe, the Director of Animal Care, Conservation, and Education at Zoo Knoxville. Uh, Why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Okay, well, my name is Phil Cockliffe, and I am Director of Animal Care, Conservation, and Education here at Zoo Knoxville. I've been here um, 26 years, and um, right now, where are we? We are in my office. Yeah, we are. At Zoo Knoxville. And let's let's just start off talking an animal right away, which is who dad? <laughs> have you have an animal in your office? I do. Those are um, that is Amy Burgess. Um, no, it's not Amy Burgess. <laughs> Those are um, she's not even paying attention to nope, us. Nope, she's supposed to be listening, and she's just on her phone. Amy, just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, for real, there is um, a copperhead and two timber rattlesnakes right behind you in those boxes. <laughs> There's not, no, nothing going to get your shoulder. There's no air holes to get you. But just so you know, while we're talking about animals in my office, um, yeah, he, he is. So um, just so you know. And so you know. But yeah, um, that's good to probably know. what you're referring to are the leopard geckos over here. Yes. So, yeah, those are um, those are leopard geckos. It's, a, it's an office pet. Um, that um, They're incredibly good pets as far as reptiles go. And um, those actually came from my son. I think he got them for his 10th birthday, and he is now almost 21. And I told him when he stopped taking really, really good care of them, they were going to come to my office, and they've been here for about seven years. 
All right. <laughs> nice. That's, I love I love leopard geckos. Yeah, I have one. And oh, do you? Just amazing. Animals. Yeah, they're very very cool. Yeah, awesome. Long right. lived. Yes, yes. But that's that's not actually what we're here to talk about today. Okay. Um, so <laughs> you have a really lofty title, and we'll get to that and what that means. But tell me about your journey to get to that cool title. What got you into like zoos and animals and all that good sure. stuff? Sure. So I'm I'm one of the people that um, grew up to be the astronaut. You know, I'm I'm one of the people that really um, have known they've wanted to do this since um, since I was a little little bitty kid. That's and, um, awesome. Specifically, um, specifically reptiles. I'm I'm a reptile guy. My, you'll you'll find that um, most animal people's identity is is um, kind of tied up in one one taxa of of of, reptile, of animals. Right, right. And um, our president and CEO is a grade eight person. So I mean, she's she's an animal person, and her identity kind of lies with um with with grade apes. And, um, I, I've been a reptile kid since really, I, I could say three years old. I remember my grandfather waking me up in the middle of the night and saying, Hey, you need to come see something really cool on my back porch. And I came out on the back porch in Marion, Virginia. And my grandfather showed me this black rat snake that was in the chinking of the, of the brick trying to get to a, a bluebird nest in his backyard <laughs> on, his, on his back porch. And I thought, man, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. I've got to know more about these. And then I'm from Texas and I, I took care of a bunch of turtles as a kid with a friend of mine, um, um, Carol Allen, who's a sea turtle rehabber now in, in oh, Houston, wow. Texas. She is awesome. So, so between Carol Allen and my grandfather, um, those two people really cinched down my career goals from super, super early age. So yeah. Um, and I, and I did everything I could, to be here um, throughout my life. I mean, I studied reptiles and amphibians, and that was my ultimate goal was to be a curator of a herpetology department at a zoo. And when that happened, I, I had arrived, and that's what I wanted to do. And then this job came open about eight or nine years ago as director of animal care, and um, I kind of jumped into the unknown and decided to start learning about mammals as well. Um, Instead of just feeding them to reptiles, yeah, so. they're fuzzier. That's, they're yeah. they're they're fuzzier. So uh, <laughs> so so yeah. So here I am, and and um and I've I've been doing this job for um I, I think about eight eight nine years something nice. like that, and it's great too. I love it. I love it just as much, maybe even more so than my um curator or herpetology job. Well, I noticed something. Uh-huh. I'm going to call you out a little bit here. Uh-oh. So, I oh, know in a good way. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, but so you you get this big highfalutin position here, <laughs> and what opens up a couple years later? Arc, which is a brand new reptile center. <laughs> Why do I think you had something to do with that? Oh my gosh, I would love, I would love to take credit, complete credit for that. I mean, no, it was, um, it, it, it was, it was more a reflection and a need of the facility and a reflection of the expertise currently in there, in the form of, I hate to say good things about Michael Ogle, our herb curator. He hates <laughs> to hear it. I hate to say it, but he is awesome at what he does. He, he is an, he is an incredible herpetologist. And, um, and his, I, I would blame him for that building as much as, as much as anything. We needed it. I wanted it. It was a priority, but there were so many other team members besides myself that influenced the, the, the making, the construction of that facility. Nice. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny in, in, in the, in our zoo in particular, everybody is always wanting their own piece of the pie. I'm not saying that selfishly, but of course the tiger people want a new tiger facility. The right. panda people want a new panda facility and, um, without fail, all of the animal care department and every staff member in the zoo recognized that the ARC needed to be the next thing we did with with absolute um, across-the-board acceptance. So it was a huge team effort and a huge team support from every walk of life in the zoo. 
That's really awesome to hear. Um, that's, that's cool because it, it looks amazing. So I, uh, I made it all the way into the first room of Ark. <laughs> where the, where the Crocs to, are? No. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, I made it that far before I had to come do this interview. Oh, cool. You got so a I'm lot more go, to see oh, over yeah. there. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited to check it out. The last time I was at this zoo, it was a foundation. Oh, cool. Um, and I just, I, it looks so beautiful. Yeah, it's it, so cool. It was really fun to see come, come online. I mean, it, it's, it's um, you know, a lot of times in the zoo world, there's there are, architects that come in and want to make their mark and with a building and there's animal people that want to do what they want to do with a building. And unless they meet exactly in the middle over the, the needs on both sides, then a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't work real well. And this, right. this building is the result of, of um, both sides really being knee to knee the whole time um, of, of the design. And I think you're going to see that it's, it's pretty darn fantastic. That's awesome. And that's kind of what I wanted to to talk about probably the most today mm-hmm. is ARC because um, part of this podcast is these interviews. I do one a week. And then part of it is something called Zoo News where I do a weekly like half hour breakdown of all the zoo and aquarium news. And I've been talking about ARC since it was announced. Like I'm so excited to finally be here and to see it. And it, it's so cool. Um, we need a snake on the front of that computer just for the record. That's a good idea. I like I like it. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. You're calling me out for the Binturong and the Red Panda stuff. And, but hey, at least we got a turtle on there. But you're, but there. There is a turtle on there for, yeah. sure, for sure. It's a sea turtle. A lot of times that falls in with the marine mammal people for some reason. Fair, fair. Um, but yeah, but so so um, I'm so curious about what it's like to to – build a new herb house. And uh-huh. um, I know from just working with, you know, a couple of different pets in that world, um, how hard it is to figure out water and temps and, sure. and environment. So would you talk me through it in like some detail? Like my listeners love nerdy stuff. Sure. So really tell me what it's like and like how long do you have to have exhibits set up before the animals move in and how do you get the animals in and like all yeah. that stuff. You, you got the right guy if you want to talk nerds. Um, <laughs> So as far as the exhibit design is concerned, that is a really um, short, it's a real shortcoming of, of mine. I, I am not a directional person. In fact, when my wife and I built our house, um, I couldn't even see the rooms until the drywall was up. I mean, right. that's the way it is. I cannot look through and say, hey, why is there a toilet in our bedroom? And my <laughs> wife would say, no, there's not. Do you not see those studs in the wall? So I, I'm really, really bad directionally. Um, Kelly Cox, who's the assistant director of animal care and um, our safety officer is, on the other hand, incredibly good at that, and she's an animal person too. So, um, so we started um, lots and lots of meetings with the architects and with the animal people from the very beginning, and um, we kind of went through and decided what we wanted as a collection, of what we wanted, which animals we wanted to have in there. And as you probably know, zoo- zoos are really no longer the place where you just go pay your money to see an animal in a cage. I mean, we, we are full-on conservation organizations, and we want people to look at habitats and learn something about the culture. The people that are there, maybe something about the botany, maybe, um, of course, about the animals themselves. Um, so there's a whole lot of pieces that have to fall in place in order to get this this building done. So we want we want to look at the conservation programs. We want to look at you know, we've got limited real estate in a building like this. So we, um, we really want to commit the square footage to programs that are in, in need of it. I mean, we, we recognize there are some things that people just want to see. People want to see a King Cobra, right? People want to see a giant tortoise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, people want to see a giant crocodilian. And with our Cuban crocodiles, that's from a conservation standpoint, that's a really important animal to feature. And we're getting a really cool, giant, ferocious, beautiful crocodilian that leaps six feet out of the water to grab its prey. So, um, so there's a whole lot of that. I mean, as far as the facilities are concerned, some of the, so if we start with the collection plan, say, this is what we want to work with. Then we look at what space requirements are there, what what temperature requirements are there, what water quality is there, what can we mix together? Are there a number of species we can house together to get more bang for our buck in the enclosures? Um, we wanted to set ourselves apart from the older facility that they came from, so we want more lavishly planted, more interactive um, areas in the building. Um, and that's another thing, you know, we, we recognize that, I, I recognize that not everybody loves snakes. The funny thing about snakes, and I sound like a broken record and I've said this a million times, snakes, reptiles kind of, but mostly snakes. If you hate snakes, you come and see snakes. If you love snakes, you come and see snakes. <laughs> if you hate zebras, you really just kind of don't go see the zebras. So it, it, it's almost 100% of the people that come into our reptile um, facility, into the ark, to look at look at those animals. So um, I think it's really important to exhibit species that are attractive to people, especially the non-snake people. And I realize I'm talking snakes, and there's lots of other things. And I'm a snake guy. Mm. Not only is my subset herpetology, but I'm a I'm a snake guy. It's kind of like the Ford Chevy thing with tortoise and snake tortoise and snake people. <laughs> um, so we wanted really brightly colored animals. We wanted animals that people could look at and say. In addition to our conservation efforts, we wanted people to look be able to look at an animal and say. Wow, that is not nearly as ugly as I thought it was going to be. And they can at least look at the patterns and the colors. So that that's a real important um, criteria for for building the collection as as well as the you know working from a program aspect. So um, and then you look at space too. You, what, what kind of space does this need? Is this an arboreal tree dwelling animal? Um, is this a fossorial animal? So is the enclosure going to be high? Is it going to be short? Um, is it going to be rocky? Is it going to be heavily planted? Is it going to be humid? Is it going to be dry? What kind of temperatures do they need? So there are all kinds of different systems in this building that are working together to support the animals that we have. We've got some animals that um, really depend on cool temperatures. So we had to have a whole different heating and air system to support those animals that, um, that need it cooler, um, whether it be at night or in the daytime. So, you know, you're dealing with a whole nother wing. Um, of that. So, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think, um, I think the people that put the electric in that building were blown away with the, the needs of those reptiles and the intricacies of those reptiles and amphibians that, oh, I that we put it, put in there. And that's not even talking about the people aspect of this building. I mean, the, the, the people aspect is a huge thing. We want people to have a good time while they're in there. We want people to be entertained. We want people to learn things or maybe trick them into learning things while they're having fun. So there's a number of interactives in there. Um, that, that speak to the STEM aspect of that building. So we, we wanted a huge STEM, um, STEM-esque program in there. So we built a, a classroom where kids can go out into the wetland and put on waders and, and dip net uh, out of a pond that we have out back and bring stuff in and look under a microscope at what they found. Um, we want the games to be fun, but we also wanted them to, to learn something about, about um, a reptile or amphibian while, while we're, they're in there. Um, we, we want our staff to be mic'd as much as possible when they're working in the greenhouse so they can interact with our guests and, and, and talk to them about what they're doing and what they're looking at and that, and that sort of thing. So, 
I mean, I could go on and on and on about the intricacies of this building, and there, there's a lot more than that. Safety is a huge thing. We of built, of course, yeah. We built switch cages um, into a number of these venomous snakes, and the switch cage is kind of like you you do say a big a, um, a big carnivore, like a tiger or a lion. You're never physically exposed. You never share the same space with that animal. And in the case of a king cobra and a green mamba, th- those can be pretty dangerous animals. So um, we built switch cages with them to where we could transfer them to a switch cage without um, a lot of exposure directly to the to the um, to the keeper. Um, That's pretty unique, isn't it? I have not heard of that. At, I mean, I know a lot of herb keepers, and I've never heard of that at a zoo. Well, there it it's unique with with big venomous snakes, and it's unique with um, with mambas. Okay, and um, gr- green mambas are incredibly fast. They're real visual. Um, and the least amount of time you can expose yourself to them, the safer that's going to, that's going to be for sure. I mean, there's going to be a time when we have to hook, I have to hook that animal. Um, and by hooking means pick it up with a snake hook, which is a golf club with a hook on the end, um, and move it to a container to get in and service that, that, um, habitat. So, um, but we want it to be as safe as we can. So we, we built switch cages and we do, um, training with some of these animals to make sure they know where the switch cage is, make them comfortable in that so we can separate them from the exhibit and, and that sort of thing. So, um, and then the life support systems of all this stuff, I mean, keeping all this water crystal clear and safe and the, 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 the chemistry involved. And we hired two, two full-time positions just to deal with water chemistry, um, in, in other parts of the zoo that have, have water pumps and filtration as well, but primarily in this new, in, in the arc. Wow, that's so, really amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on <laughs> about how intricate this building was and is. That's really cool. How uh, how long did it take to go from, like, starting to design to actually opening? Oh, my gosh. It's a, it's a blur. I don't know that. Do you know that, Amy Burgess? <laughs> how long it took from inception and conception of that building to, to ribbon cutting? I mean, probably yeah, – someone will have to fact check me on that, but but – uh, yeah, th- three or four years. Wow. And there's been incarnations of that building on the back of cocktail napkins for 25 years. Right, right. So you can make the argument that it's been 25 years coming. <laughs> and we, we had some good ideas early, early, early on that we decided we want to apply to this building now too. So um, a long, long time is a safe is a safe answer. Nice. I love that. Now <laughs> tell me, uh, what is your favorite animal in the ark? Oh, King Cobra. Okay. That, that, that's super, super easy, easy for me. Um, it's, you know, King Cobra is one of those animals that, um, every herp kid, especially, especially every snake kid, you know, you saw the movie and read about it. Maybe you're too young to know Ricky Ticky Tabby. No, no. Yeah. yeah. My, <laughs> trust me. My mama brought me up right. Okay. I know Ricky Ticky Tabby. <laughs> good. So, so yeah, the Cobras in that, I mean, a uh, 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 Anaconda and, uh, and a King Cobra are probably top list of kids favorite reptiles mm-hmm. and um i i love that king cobra and i and I, i'm a bit embarrassed because reptile people are um are typically biologists and these animals are specimens right, right and you don't necessarily get attached to them anthropomorphically but um and i've, I've found that to happen to me with a komodo dragon al our big tortoise of course of course um and then this king cobra i mean i'm i'm stupid i'm stupidly attached to this animal <laughs> kind of from an emotional standpoint too it's re- it's really weird um she doesn't like me back as much. Right, fair. fair. But um, but yeah, that's probably my um, that's my single favorite animal in that in that in in that collection. I mean, she she is beautiful. She they're visual. They're fast. They're incredibly dangerous. They have a lot of history behind them. A lot of folklore, and it's a big, gigantic venomous snake. 
Yeah. It's it's a really, really cool animal. So yeah, hand, hands down, that's my favorite animal in, in, in that building. Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake is my favorite animal. I didn't know if you're asking me that or not, but um, yeah, if we got that someday, that would, um, that would fill the place of that Cobra. Maybe. I don't Interesting. Know. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. So what do you think it is that makes you such a herp person? And I know, I know, I mean, you talked about your history, but yeah. I know that beyond that, you don't, you can't define what it is. I know that. I yeah. Red pandas, binturongs, tree kangaroos, and turtles are my four favorites. <laughs> yeah. And it makes no sense, and I don't know why, and I know the exact minute I fell in love with red pandas. <laughs> sure. And it makes even less sense because if I'd seen them for years and never cared, <laughs> and then one day I fell in love. But, right. but, but as much as you can, why do you think it is that you just, like, what is it about them that connects to you? Sure. Well, I mean, let, let me start by saying I, this can't be backed up scientifically at all. But in, in my, my 51 years of life, I've seen lots of herp kids, lots of herp adults, and I swear it seems like they're born that way. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's just I see kids come in here that are just passionate about reptiles and nothing else, and they don't seem to grow out of that. I mean, again, I can't – there's no foundation with that. And, yeah, and, right. and most herp people have a lot of characteristics that, from a personality standpoint, that are the same. Some really, really bad, <laughs> and some really, really good. Um, but um, on a side note, if if you're listening to this and you've ever gone to one of those like herp shows where oh he's not lying, that's so, a whole nother subset. It is a it is a uh, <clears throat> unique group of individuals for, for for sure for sure. But I mean, the, I think the broader question is why herps and maybe even specifically why why snakes. Right. I mean, I think I think it's a challenge to make people love and appreciate um, reptiles in general. Um, there's a lot of, um, um, there's a lot against them from the, from the get go, whether that be, whether that be a cultural thing or just, you know, I found that people tend to like things more that look like themselves, um, that they can relate to more. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, chimpanzees are a favorite, great apes are a favorite with people. And I I think a lot of people don't know how dangerous chimpanzees are, especially compared to a cobra, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I just think the unusualness of snakes and the challenge of convincing people that they're here for a reason and that they're beautiful. And despite the fact they don't have any arms and legs and eyelids and don't look anything like us, um, there, there are a lot of, um, a lot of really, really cool things about them. I mean, you can get lofty and talk about rodent control or you can be superficial and talk about how beautiful they are. Right. right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answered your, your question. I mean, I just, I feel like these reptile people are born this way. Yeah, it's, no, it's I totally kind, get it's that. It's kind of rare to find somebody working, especially professionally with reptiles that didn't know they wanted to do it as a, as a little kid. Very cool. And so going along with what you were just saying, I am here today with a friend uh-huh. who is an aspiring zookeeper uh-huh. who is deathly afraid of snakes for no reason. Sure. How does one go about fixing that? And I will tell you, I spent over a year getting over my fear of spiders yeah. to the point that I actually was able to handle the transplant oh, very on cool. the podcast for the first time ever. It was really <laughs> very cool. cool. And now I like them. I actually yeah. love them. I, I wish I could hang out with more transplants. <laughs> very amazing. cool. But um, so I know how I did it. We talked about it on an earlier episode. But like for my friend Megan, what what do we do? How do we get her over this fear? Right. I think it's information as much as anything. I mean, again, I think they're so foreign to us, and there's so much um, mystery around them, and maybe a lot of misinformation. Mm -hmm. You know, snakes don't chase you. There's not a single snake on the planet that will chase you. But that's a that's a misnomer. Right. Um, Even venomous snakes aren't aren't there to 
to bite you and envenomate you. I mean, the, their venom is for food getting. It's 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 really more a food getting mechanism than it is a defensive measure. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I just think exposing people to to that, and I think being real respectful of that fear is a really is a is an important thing too. I mean, I. I I understand it's a real thing. I mean, I've known some people that are deathly afraid of butterflies. I've known some people that are deathly wow. afraid of frogs. I'm not. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, somebody wow. on our leadership team here is deathly afraid of frogs. Wow. I, I learned okay. a couple of weeks ago. And 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 um, I, I think, um, you know, I just think you tiptoe in, into it and you're very respectful of it. You maybe find out where that fear comes from. A lot of times it's founded on a, a, a big brother that did something awful to you with a snake. Sure. <laughs> I, sure. I, I hear that story a lot. Yeah, I hear, Oh, one time my brother, or I was walking through the woods and I stepped on one or, um, you, you know, I mean, you usually kind of dig around and find out what made them afraid to be, to begin with. Um, I think everybody is salvageable when it comes to snakes. I mean, and, and I, it's, um, it's a weird, it's a weird fear and it's a weird bias. I always tell people it's, it's odd to me, especially when I was the herp curator that, um, throughout any given summer, there's three or four snakes that are brought to our front gate with their heads cut off for us to identify. And they, they bring it and they call the hurt person and say, Hey, I brought this headless dead snake that I killed in my backyard and I want you to identify it. And it's so foreign to me that they come to a zoo where people, obviously that person that's going to come see that snake loves these more than anything on the planet right. or they wouldn't committed their whole career to it, but they don't bring headless birds to the bird curator. Right. You know, I mean, it was, yeah, that's yeah. a real weird thing to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know there's a difference somehow. And I, and I, if someone brings me a headless snake, I'm, I'm not going to preach to them and yell at them and sure. be, and be rude to them by, by any means. But I mean, I will do my best because those are obviously the people that are afraid of the snakes. Mm-hmm. I will do my best to talk to them and say, Hey, this is maybe, um, why you shouldn't do it. And nine times out of 10, um, Almost ten times out of ten, it's it's a harmless it's a harmless snake. Right. That they think, on the other hand, is is a copperhead or a, a cottonmouth or a whatever. That's such an interesting experience. That yeah, you've it, had. it, it wow. happens pretty regularly. I mean, it really does. And and even even here on zoo grounds, we have um you know we've we've got a pretty healthy population of snakes on zoo grounds, on our campus here. Um, not a single venomous snake has ever been found on on zoo Knoxville grounds. But there are a bunch of black rat snakes because mm-hmm. we have a bunch of chipmunks. We have right. a bunch of rodents. I mm-hmm. mean, that's just what happens when you have public and garbage and food and animal food and that sort of thing. So they, they're here kind of cleaning up some of those rodents. And throughout the summer, we'll get 15 or 20 black rat snakes that are just laying out on the pathway. Oh, wow. And um, there's, they're, um, you know, all, all hands on deck on the radio. Hey, there's a snake out on the pathway, but you don't get all hands on deck when there's a, a chipmunk sitting on a fence post. And again, I understand there's a difference. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun a little bit, but there right. still is a difference for some reason. Yeah. No, that's and it's a good opportunity to go down and talk to people and say, Hey, this is one of our native black rat snakes. It, it can get six feet long. It's incredible for keeping rodents under control, thus keeping disease under control and food storage under control and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of weird biases towards snakes. Yeah. I've noticed that. And as somebody who's always quite enjoyed them, I, I don't get it. Although, like I said, I was also an arachnophobe for a long time. Yeah. It also made no sense. And I yeah. knew that logically. Sure. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, my mom has historically not been a snake person. I mean, she doesn't love love snakes. Um, and, and I hope that's and, not her Tupperware over there. That is yeah. not her Tupperware <laughs> over there. Although a few um, a few pillowcases and Tupperware containers over the years of my childhood have gone to the <laughs> to the snake effort. So um, you know, I, I I mean back to your question, how do you get people over it? I just think it's exposure. I think mm-hmm. it's finding some really cool 
um, facts to talk to them about, maybe show them some beautiful, beautiful snakes. Maybe they've never heard that there's a, there's a, um, there's a function of snakes. This right. is why they're they're here on the on, on the planet. Makes sense. Do you think meeting one in per, like handling or or petting or anything helps? I do think. I, I do think that. I think exposure to them. A lot of times when people are afraid of snakes, they've been surprised by one. Mm-hmm. There's been one in their carport that they almost stepped on. There's been you know a horrible movie that they saw about them. Um, you know, gotten into their bluebird boxes and eaten their bluebirds, which which happens. Yeah. I mean that that happens quite quite a bit, but um yeah I think direct exposure is good respectful direct exposure yes you of know course, I mean yeah. I've I'm I would never force somebody to touch a snake I right. would never force somebody to be in the same room with a snake if they didn't want mm-hmm. to so it's kind of tiptoeing into that comfort zone right. and maybe next time they're around maybe they want to get a little closer maybe they, and it, it's funny too because I it seems that most people are more afraid of small snakes than they are giant snakes. Seems people are more comfortable with a great big boa constrictor than they are a little a little garter snake. I don't know if it's because it's you can it's more visual. You can kind of see where that animal's moving a little more. It moves a little sl- more slowly. I, I don't I don't know what it is, but that's right. that's a thing too for whatever reason. Huh? Interesting. Very cool. So, um, tell me, um, I'm most uh, so animal care we we know about mm-hmm. everyone does, but but you have part of your title is conservation, uh-huh. and I am such. A, a lover of conservation efforts and the stuff that zoos do. And one of my big things that I always try, whenever I get to talk to anybody who is in a position of power, like you, oh, I'm always like, oh, hey, by the way, my <laughs> mission. Everybody laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> but no, but my, 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 one of my big missions with this podcast, as far as mostly it's sharing what y'all do with other people, mm-hmm. but also trying to encourage any zoo people I talk to to share the conservation stuff that they do more. Because every day, it seems like that I go to a zoo. Mm-hmm. I'll go to some behind-the-scenes area, and they'll be like, see this little shack here? This is one of three places where, bre- where we're breeding this species, which is keeping them from extinction, blah, blah. <laughs> sure. And then I get on Instagram, and it's like, here's the 400th picture of a bear. And bears are awesome, and I get it. Sure. But also, like, you know, tell, let's, so, so tell me about some of the conservation stuff going on here that maybe people aren't as aware of, but that is super cool. Sure. Um, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a bias towards reptiles again, mm-hmm. um, towards me, but with me. But I think, um, you know, bog bog turtles, which it, I love. Yeah, by the way. a bog turtle is one of the rarest species of turtle on the planet. Um, they occur right here in East Tennessee. It's kind of a brown little ugly turtle, if truth be told. People always argue with me about that, but I mean, there there's not a whole lot to them. They got a beautiful yellow patch behind their eyes, but right. they're they're real habitat specific. Um, so I'm, I'm telling you to tell you this, that behind the scenes, we've been working with bog turtles for 26, 27 years. We're actually re-releasing bog turtles back into the wild. Um, through habitat destruction and through poaching, bog turtles have, have declined in their, in their natural range by, by an incredible number. So um, we're actually um, hatching these, growing them up for a year or two, and re-releasing them back into the, in the wild. Um, it's... it's um, it's a project that's really cool because most bog turtle habitat, at least in East Tennessee, occurs on private landowners' land. So when we started this project, Bern, Bern Tryon, who is no longer with us, he, he started this project at Zoo Knoxville 27, 28 years ago. And um, he identified these habitats on private land on, on private land, and went to the landowners and said, hey, you guys have perfect habitat for bog turtles. There's none here for some reason. Maybe they were poached, maybe whatever. We would like to start an introduction program where we're breeding these in captivity and putting them back on your land. 
So immediately, these people are like, oh, great. I'm going to have an endangered species on my land. I can't, I can't do what I want to on my land. The government's going to come take my land. So there's a, there's a whole human aspect of that project from the very beginning where you go to them and make them comfortable and say, hey, these turtles are so important. We want you to love these turtles. We want you to support these turtles. We are not the government. We're your friends. We want to show you what's in your backyard. And here we are, 20-something years later, we've got these private landowners with these bogs in their backyard. And not only are they um, um, not afraid of us anymore, they are some of the biggest bog turtle fans that we have on the planet. In nice. fact, if if some some truck or car drives by their land a little too slowly, they'll be on the front porch with a shotgun guarding that land. I mean, they, they've gone from being afraid of us to being afraid of somebody that might come steal these turtles. And in right. many cases, this land is secured for their future generations. They've told their kids, hey, when I'm gone, I want you to protect this land for these bog turtles. So um, that's a huge conservation effort we're, we're doing. And that's that's the one I think um, I, I'm most proud of from a, from a whole zoo standpoint. But we've sent keepers all over the world. I mean, we, we've got a, um, a, a, pro, a project here called Quarters for Conservation where a number of um, – there's a quarter for every person that comes through our gate that goes to a huge um, fund. And we let our our staff, not just keeper staff, it's all staff in the zoo put in professional development opportunities. And they say, hey, I would like a piece of this money to go to Africa to help with a penguin recovery project, to go with um, Southeast Asia to help with Malayan tiger project, to donate to the bog turtle program or whatever. So we have um, all kinds of little smatterings of conservation through our um, projects through our employees that just are passionate about doing it. I mean, bog turtles kind of get the headlines around here. Our tigers get headlines, you know, um, red, red pandas. That's one of our hallmarks, you know, there's, Oh yeah. Yeah. One, you'd probably know more about red pandas than I do. Pro- probably. Yeah. And <laughs> I did an interview with Sarah glass and the entire episode is just us talking about the, the captive red panda population and nerding <laughs> out because we both know so many of them. Yeah. And <laughs> very it cool. was, it was very cool, very embarrassing all at once. But I loved it. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah's the red panda queen. Yes. Uh, yes. She, I literally felt like I was meeting a celebrity. You were. The first time that I met her, I was like, oh my goodness. You I were. This happening. Yeah. The most important celebrity in the zoo until today. <laughs> when you met Amy Burgess over here. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who is paying attention again. So we're doing She is. I'm going to have to watch what I say from here on out because I can see she's looking at me. <laughs> so are there any um, external conservation um, – Organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to, maybe maybe some cool herp things that you're, you 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 support. Um, the Nature Conservancy has has worked with us. Um, the um, the TSA, the good TSA, not the bad TSA. So yes. Turtle Survival Alliance. Love Turtle Survival Alliance. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna get thrown against the wall next time I I, I go to the I go to the airport. <laughs> that's that's true um the ruaha project in africa that we work with some of our um our q4c money goes to them for um for m- many things through that specifically um you know lion hu- human human lion conflict um resolutions um you, you know a, num- a number of things all the way across across the board Okay. Very cool. And then um, I don't want to keep you too long, although I feel like we could talk all day. You have <laughs> some stories, my friend. Um, but so I think it's time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossipari Poop Story. I've got lots of poop stories. Poop story. But many of them I absolutely can't 
can't tell. <laughs> I, I'm I'm still kind of at a at a loss. Um, we've eaten lots of really gross things. Okay, tell um, me about eating some gross things. Um, we've always we've tried mealworms. Oh, oh. Um, we've tried wax worms. Oh. Um, we've tried monkey biscuits. I know a guy that actually ate a frozen pinky mouse. What? Um, what yeah. Wait, why yeah. would you? How can you? What? That's another herb thing. I mean, you just can't not take a dare. Um, oh my gosh! I mean, I, I I can understand. Like, have I tried a zoo biscuit or two? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been known to happen. Has zoopreen been offered to me later this week, and I'm going to try it? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> but uh, keeps you regular. Pinky. Yeah, oh. a, a frozen pinky mouse. There was no live pinky. pinky of course, no, pinky of course. Mice. Um, I still want, but now that the, that's the poop story. The poop story. I want because I want to know what it was like pooping out. I was going to say pinky. the poop story. Poop story is the is the next. It's time for interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. And then, y'all, one of the craziest things that has ever happened to me in an interview happened. Amy, who, again, is the PR person, is the person who is supervising the interview, suggested that Phil tell a story that uh, he did not want to share, per se. And this was all hilarious and and very funny, but uh, you have to hear how this went down. I cut out all mentions of what the story is actually about. Sorry, but uh, my word is my bond and I have to, you know, have to respect and protect the people that I'm interviewing. But um, I think this is going to crack you up without knowing that. And yes, in case you are wondering, they did end up telling me the story off the record. So uh, y'all should be jealous and I should get back to Knoxville so that we can uh, get this story on the pod next time. Enjoy. I can't tell that story. Because much of the zoo does not know that story. Oh, really? You are one of the select few that oh, knows wow. that. Okay, never mind. I will tell you after you hit stop on this. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> That's the grossest thing. That truly, that, that actually went through my heard. head. That actually went through my head and I was like, do I expose this thing right now? You can tease it okay. a little, a little okay. bit, but I'm not telling you what it is. Okay. It'll leave people hanging. And maybe next time he visits, I'd be willing to share, <laughs> to, to share the story. Um, poop. I like it. It is so weird. It is and it's, so weird. And there's been so much effort gone into it over the I last 15 years. No, I'm not telling it. Oh, my there's, goodness. There's too many people on the team that I'd have to get their permission before I exposed oh, it. This is amazing. I've never had the PR person be like, tell a story, and the guest be like, no. <laughs> Normally, the PR person is the one waving their arms I'm and making faces. Yeah, that that is true. That is true. I can think of one where um, one of our animal departments that I'm not going to name okay. was asked to leave Shoney's because they smelled so bad. <laughs> um, there, there are um, there, there are groups of animals that people work with that you go home smelling like those animals sometimes, mm-hmm. and it was um, disturbing apparently to the the Shoney's crowd of all people. That's now I'm hilarious. bashing Shoney's. I'm not bashing Shoney's. No, I, I love their no, no. breakfast bar. Plus their cheese soup is amazing. Oh, that is thing. that is good. That is good. Yeah. So they were asked to leave Shoney's because they smelled so bad. That's hilarious. No, yeah. I have I have a keeper friend who who has told me repeatedly she works with Mandawas. Oh yeah, of course. That's a said, bad one. She will get home. And there was yeah. one time that she got home and and you know stripped naked for her husband, <laughs> and he was like, "Go take a shower." And she was like, "It's killing the mood." That is funny. I... Thank you for taking the time to do this. I do appreciate it. Sure. It's been a lot of fun. Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming. Mm-hmm. 
All right, y'all. So I'm just going to say it. Yes, I got to hear the story after all of that. And yes, it was weird and gross and funny. And I'm going to do everything in my power to get that story on my podcast eventually. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) sometimes I've mentioned this on here before in different ways, but the things that I am told and the things that I hear and the experiences that I get to have because of this podcast that don't make the podcast because, um, you know, reasons, either the ones that you just heard or, or whatever, uh, <laughs> I have a very, very weird life, and this podcast is very much a part of that, and I love it so, 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 so much. If you want to hear more about Zoo Knoxville or check out the various animals and other things there, you can do that by hitting up zooknoxville.org or at Zoo Knoxville on all the social medias. And I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, PJ Bevan and Laura Shank. Thanks, guys. Yay. All right, and a quick reminder, friends, the word Stiderk backwards is credits. Whoa, that was weird. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.